Well, good morning. Good to see you. My name is Josh, one of the pastors here. And uh, students, so, so excited for you guys coming back from Winter Blitz. And uh, man, just when I was a youth pastor and even when I was in high school, uh, it's just such good memories of God at work during those weekends. And uh, just really, really excited for you. And um, yeah, way to go. And uh, keep at it. Keep leaning into Christ. And uh, he's sure to, to use you in your life and build you up, as we're going to see even in the text this morning. Uh, another thing Myra mentioned, a discovery class tonight, uh, we're going to push it off. And I'm going to check on this, and then we'll get in touch with you either uh, likely two weeks on March 7th. Uh, reason being, just... I've got a little bit of a cough and cold, so I'm going to be sucking on cough drops even as I'm preaching, and, um, and I'm tired. So uh, just, just to be extra cautious, I think we're better off to push that back a couple weeks, and uh, so I'm kind of probably won't come up close to any of you today either, just uh, coughing a little bit, so forgive me for the cough drop. It tastes terrible, if that's any consolation, but I want to be able to make it through the message with you today. So... By the way, if the 7th doesn't work for you, though, we'd love for you to be at Discovery Class, and there's another one on the calendar for, I think, May 2nd, so we'd love for you to be there. But hey, so glad you're here today, and glad if you're joining us online, really glad for you. And uh, today, we're going to be in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, and one of the things that Peter does is he uses a lot of imagery from the Old Testament, and uh, one particular that you see come up all over the place is this image, this metaphor of a stone. You know, if you were to go back to the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, uh, we read about uh, Daniel himself, young guy, walking into uh, the presence of King Nebuchadnezzar, who had had a terrifying dream, and no one could interpret his dream, and so he was uh, furious, and he was about to kill everybody who couldn't interpret the dream for him. Daniel said, uh, uh, King, give me the opportunity uh, because of the Lord. And he had gone and prayed and he came back. And here's basically what Daniel, the exile, uh, what God had made known to him about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel entered the throne room and he said, in effect, you saw, O king, a great image. See, one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar had done is he had told everybody who was supposed to interpret his dream. He said, um, before you interpret my dream, tell me what my dream was. If you can't tell me what my dream was and interpret it correctly, I'm going to kill you. No pressure, right? And so Daniel, uh, he prayed to God and God revealed this to him. He said, uh, oh, King, you saw a great image. Its appearance, it was like a big statue, basically. Its appearance was frightening. Nebuchadnezzar's putting out in his head. Yeah, it was awful. The head of the image was of fine gold. Its chest and arms were of silver. Its middle and thighs were of bronze. Its legs were of iron. Its feet partly iron and clay. Then a stone was cut out of a mountain not made with hands, and the stone struck the image and broke it into pieces. So you get the picture? He dreams about this big statue, and the stone comes in out of nowhere and smashes it to pieces. There's more detail, actually, Daniel gives than I'm giving you, but... The interpretation, O king, is this. The, the precious metals, they're, they're all kingdoms. And your kingdom is the head of gold. And Nebuchadnezzar had, a, had had a vision of the future. And the stone, however, he said, that's what we're interested in today, is the coming kingdom of God. And it shall stand forever. And of its increase, there shall be no end, Daniel said. 
Well, somebody prior to Daniel had said something similar, one about a coming king whose government and increase would have no end. You remember that, Isaiah talking about Jesus? And he also, though Isaiah said this, um, he had seen a stone in a vision God had given him years before. He said in Isaiah chapter 28, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. The psalmist in Psalm 118, verse 22, talked about this too. He said that there would, uh, he spoke of a cornerstone that would bring salvation to anyone who believed, as well as a stone that would be a stumbling block for anyone who would reject it. They'd just keep tripping over this stone. Well, um, centuries later, you get into the New Testament, and this young uh, traveling preacher comes to Jerusalem. And uh, he walks up to uh, the Temple Mount, and while he's there, Jesus, maybe you know him, uh, people asked him, they said, Jesus, by what authority are you doing all these things that you've been doing? And to answer them, he gives them a parable. He actually gives them a couple in uh, Matthew chapter 21. I'll read from there now, it won't be on the screen, but you can listen in or find it yourself. And uh, Jesus said, well, it's, I do it not on my own authority, but on the, on the authority of God. And then he tells a couple parables. He says, what do you think? He said, a man, he had two sons. And, and to the, he went to the first one. He said, son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, no, I'm not going to the vineyard. But then later, that son changed his mind and he went out to work. And Jesus says that he went to his other son and he said, son, I need you to go work in the vineyard today. And this son said, no problem, I'm on it. He never went. So Jesus asked him, he said, so which of those two sons did the will of their father? And all the Pharisees and all the leaders are like, well, clearly the first one, because he actually did what he was told to do. Jesus said, yeah, you're right. Uh, let me tell you another parable, Jesus said. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and he put a fence around it and he dug a wine press and in it he built a tower and he leased it to some tenants and he went to another country. And when the season for the fruit of the vine drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants that he had sent and they beat one, they killed another and they stoned another. So he sent more servants to get his fruit more than the first time. And they did the same thing to them. Finally, the master sent his son to them saying, surely they'll respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Jesus asked. And again, the Pharisees were like, well, he'll put those wretches to a miserable death. And then he'll give his vineyard out to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. And in response to these, Jesus says, you know, guys, have, have you ever read the Bible? Have you read the Old Testament? Have you read the passages from Psalm 118 and Isaiah 28 where... Psalm 118 in particular says, have you never read that where it says the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? Have you read that? 
Jesus was telling them that, that what was written about this stone was actually him and that like the stone had been rejected, these parables pointed to the fact that uh, all of these guys who should have accepted him rejected him. Who should have, when they believed God and said, yeah, I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna trust you, but they rejected coming to Jesus, coming to the son. Jesus said, those stones in the Old Testament, that, that was me. He goes on, therefore I tell you, verse 43, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. It'll be given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Isaiah 8, verse 14 says that, uh, and, and then in, in Psalm 118, there's a stumbling block, right? He's a stone of offense. And he said, Jesus says, and when, when the stone falls on anyone, it will crush him. Just like Daniel had had this vision of the stone, which is Jesus coming to conquer all the kingdoms of the earth. Now, why do I share all that with you? Well, because Peter picks up that imagery this morning. And, and Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, talks about the stone the builders rejected, and he applies it to Jesus. Because I guarantee you, Peter was standing around here when Jesus uh, taught all these guys these parables and told them, I'm the stone the builders rejected. Because Peter picks it up in his sermon in Acts, he picks it up here in his letter, as, do, as does Paul and, and other places in the New Testament. But with that in mind, uh, turn with me now to 1 Peter. We're going to read this, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into it together. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 is where we're picking it up this morning. Peter writes this, As you come to him, talking about Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, as you come to him, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it says, it stands in scripture. Peter's like, hey, it's, it's written in the Bible. You've read it. I heard Jesus teach it. Behold, in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Peter goes on, he says in verse seven, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who don't believe, well then Psalm 118 applies to them. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And in verse eight, he says Isaiah eight, verse 14 applies to them too, that he's a stone now of stumbling and a rock of offense. And they shall stumble because they disobey the word just as they were destined to do. But you, Peter said, you, you who've trusted him, who've come to him, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So word of the Lord, let me pray. We're gonna unpack this together. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. And uh, Lord, thanks that he is the stone, that he's a living stone. He's the cornerstone. He's the bedrock and foundation of our faith and of our hope and of our future, of our joy. Holy Spirit, would you uh, speak through me today and by the power of your word, uh, uh, show us uh, the hope we have in Christ, the, the joy of, of knowing him, of Jesus being close to you, of you drawing near and close to us and your activity among us. Lord, teach us today. Let us live encouraged and hopeful and changed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
Well, Peter talks about Jesus as the cornerstone, and he's going to tell us that the, uh, the church is it's built on Jesus Christ. It's built on Jesus. I wonder, is your life built on Jesus? That's a good question for you to be thinking about today. Have you built your life on Jesus Christ? I would commend him to you if you haven't, because uh, the prophets and now Peter tells us, and Jesus himself said that he is the cornerstone. Verse four, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. As, uh, Peter had picked up some of this imagery from the Old Testament. He also um, now is going to tell us more about who Jesus is. Him, of course, coming to him as Jesus, the living stone. Jesus made it clear that he was a stone, but Peter reminds us, hey, uh, he was rejected. He was crucified, but he's living. He's alive. He rose from the grave. He is alive. And, uh, and Peter reminds us that though uh, he was dead, he's risen from the dead and he's a living stone. Uh, Peter loved that imagery of living, the living stone. He talked about our living hope, about our hope in, in uh, the, the living word of God. He's going to say that we're like living stones built up next to Jesus and by Jesus. So let's keep going through this verse and we're going to uh, talk more about Jesus as the cornerstone. Uh, but he's chosen and he's precious in the sight of God. Uh, people rejected him. The Pharisees rejected him. People today uh, all over the world continually reject Jesus Christ, right? But to God, he's chosen. He's precious. That word chosen, Peter's already used that earlier, and he's applied it to us. If you've trusted Christ, you become a Christian. He said that you are a chosen exile. You are an elect exile. God picked you. Like it's his work in your heart that you trusted him. He loved you so much that he gave his life. Jesus gave his life for you. He picked you for his team. Isn't that cool? And he said, that's like Jesus. Jesus was chosen. Everybody else rejected him, but he's chosen. And he's precious. Precious just meaning incredibly valuable. Like nothing of greater worth than him. And of course, Peter told us too that we were ransomed and redeemed by, by what? By the precious blood of Jesus Christ back in chapter one. So guess what that means? Just like you're chosen, just like Jesus says, guess what else you are? You're precious to God. Like you are of infinite worth to him and of value to him. He loves you like you never dreamt you were loved. You're precious to him. So precious that uh, this, this stone, Jesus himself, who God has chosen, who is, who is perfect, who's precious and of infinite worth, he gave his life for you. And the question is, what are you gonna do now with this stone? Because many reject him. Maybe you have so far with your life, I don't know. But now he's the cornerstone of the church. He was rejected, but he's the cornerstone. He's... In other words, he's the most important part. And when you think of a cornerstone, you might think um, a lot of building today, you know, you know, people will build a building and on the corner of the building, they'll put a big fancy stone, right? And they'll like engrave the year that the building was erected. And uh, if it's a church, maybe a Bible verse, or if it's a, if it's a building, maybe whoever designed it, or there, there's something like etched in that stone. Sometimes that stone's hollowed out and There'll be a metal box put inside with like important documents, like a time capsule, and then it's sealed up and they keep 
building the facade of the building. Modern construction doesn't really use a cornerstone to, uh, to lay a foundation for a building, right? It, but in, in, in Jesus' day, in the time in Peter's day when this is written, there wasn't power equipment. There wasn't bulldozers plowing up the ground, backhoes and drills digging pilings into the ground down to the bedrock to make a firm foundation. No, they started by picking the right stone. And they picked a cornerstone. And when they picked out that cornerstone, they made sure that it was square, that it was level, that it was placed in just the right spot. Because uh, off of that cornerstone, they're going to build everything else from this building. And if, if this thing's crooked, if it's not quite right, guess what the rest of the building's going to be? A disaster and a mess. And so after the cornerstone was laid, well then the other stones get laid around it and maybe even uh, kind of lined up just to make sure that, that they fit along with that cornerstone. And uh, there's all kinds of different stones. There's some that are uh, very similar uh, to, the, uh, to the main one, but there's other ones of different shapes and of different colors. And, and the builders just keep building. And uh, based off this stone then is, is the foundation for the whole building going forward. And it's built up. Peter says that's Jesus as it relates to you and me. As it relates to the church, as it relates to what God is doing. He's the cornerstone. And everything else is built upon him. The word Peter uses there for cornerstone sometimes refers to uh, uh, the, the keystone, actually. Do you know what a keystone is versus a cornerstone? Cornerstone was kind of the main foundation that everything rested on, and the whole building was dependent on and tied into that. The, the keystone would have been like the stone in the top of an arch, kind of a, a wedge-shaped thing that, uh, that, uh, that kept the, the, the strength of... I'm stumbling over my words today. It supported the building equally on either side of the arch. And if you remove that keystone, uh, everything fell down, right? And that was the entrance oftentimes into the building. And without that keystone in the right spot, you couldn't enter in. Well, whether Jesus, whether Peter has in mind the cornerstone, which I think he does because of other places in scripture, or as some have said, like the keystone, in any case, Jesus is both the one who is the foundation of all things and he's the one who holds all things together and provides entrance into God's kingdom. He's the cornerstone. And yet what, what we read here is that many have rejected him and they've tried to build their own building on their own foundation and it's failing miserably. Paul uses the same imagery uh, in Romans and in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter two, he says, so then, he says a lot of the same things that Peter's telling us. You are no longer strangers and aliens or exiles, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also, in him, are, you're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You're, you're being built up in Jesus Christ into a dwelling place for God, into a dwelling place for the Spirit. Isn't that incredible? 
Have you built your life on the foundation, the true cornerstone of Jesus? You see, Peter points out that the gospel is at the heart of all of this. The gospel is. He said, uh, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And he goes on in verse six, he says, for it it stands in scripture. Peter's like, "Uh, let me remind you what the prophet said. Let me remind you what Isaiah said, first of all. Uh, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Well, at first hearing of this, the people probably think, oh, God's building his temple in Jerusalem, in Zion, right? But then Peter says, but whoever, or excuse me, Isaiah says, whoever believes in him in a piece of granite? What? Wait a second. This is a metaphor. This isn't. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The way Isaiah wrote it was this, chapter 28, verse 16, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm the one who's laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone. And again, he's speaking of Jesus, a tested stone. What did Jesus do when he began his ministry? He went out into the wilderness and he was tempted and he was tested and found to be true and found to be sure, found to be honest, found to be without sin. He's a precious cornerstone of infinite value and worth and of a sure foundation. Like you can, you can found your life on him and it will not be shaken. In fact, the way Isaiah said it, whoever believes will not be in haste. Sometimes that's translated will not be in a panic. Whoever believes in him will not run around with their head cut off, not knowing what's going on in life. And there's no opportunity for that today, is there? Like to wonder what in the world is happening. But, but our hope, again, isn't in the chaos around us. It's, it's in the cornerstone. And in him, he's tested and he's chosen and he's sure. And he's building us up into his spiritual house, into his people. He's building us up as living stones ourselves, giving us life, giving us purpose, giving us hope. Well, uh, uh, when people heard Isaiah say this, and even uh, for Peter, you know, at first, there's maybe a little confusion. What do you mean, uh, whoever believes uh, in him? Uh, well, they would have thought of the temple and of having the honor of going into the temple and being with God. But Peter, Peter tells us, so uh, verse seven, the honor is for you who believe. Not just for the priest, but for you if you would believe, verse seven. And he says, but for those who don't believe, we're going to come back to that. The stone that the builders rejected, they thought it was worthless. They thought, I'm going to cast that aside. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't, anything want, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. The one that was rejected, uh, God has actually chosen to be the cornerstone, the foundation for life. Peter's quoting here from Psalm 118, and he actually quotes it in one of his sermons in the book of Acts. Chapter four, uh, Peter had, had healed a guy and now he's being uh, uh, put on trial for it before the religious leaders. And they're like, what are you doing healing this guy? And Peter filled with the spirit. He said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? 
then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom, by the way, you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, it's by him that this guy has been healed. The guy who's been sitting at the gate crippled for decades that you've walked past. God Almighty, Jesus Christ is the one who healed him. And this Jesus, remember the one you, when you crucified, the one God raised from the dead? Peter starts uh, quoting Psalm 118 to them just as Jesus had. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders, which has become the cornerstone. In 1 Peter, he tells us he's the living stone. Here he says, verse 12, there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved. The, the one who, who gave life and who restored this man's life and gave him hope and healed him is the living stone that you rejected. The one that when he was on, you kept tripping over him. You kept stumbling over him. Peter seemed to be really clear that the rejection of the stone refers to the rejection of Jesus, the rejection of the gospel. And as the chief cornerstone, Jesus is the one who, who gives life, who determines our place. In verse 8, then he says, he's, you've rejected him, and he's a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, quoting again from Isaiah. And, and people stumble. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Friends, God wrote a book. He wrote it all down for us. How to know him, how to live a, a life that is full of joy, that is honoring to him. Not a bunch of rules because God wants to squash your joy, but no, a, a bunch of things. When, when God says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. When he's saying do this, he's saying because that's what's best and I love you. But so often we reject this, we reject this word, we disobey it, we disobey the gospel and don't believe in Christ. And so now that perfect stone, instead of being something I could build my life on, I look at it and I go, I don't want anything to do with that. And I push it aside. But the reality is, uh, Jesus has created everything and he's made it such a thing that uh, every human being is gonna have to deal with him and make a decision about him. And he's either going to be your foundation of your life that you build your life on, or he's going to always be in the way and you're going to keep stumbling over him and tripping and falling. And as Jesus told the Pharisees, fall and your life will be busted to pieces. He's going to be rejected. I, know, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm just tired of that. You kick it away and you stupid rock. But no, he's, he's the cornerstone. I wonder... Uh, what are you doing with that stone? What have you done? What will you do? What are you doing with Jesus Christ? Friends, he, he is the, he's the sure hope of your life. He's the living stone on which you can have hope and joy and purpose and a future. Trust him. See, built on Jesus Christ, the church, capital C, God's people, those, the, the church consists not of people who go to church, but people who go to Jesus, who trusted him, right? The, the, but it built on Jesus Christ, he's the foundation. The church is at the very heart of what God's up to. 
the church is at the center, that God's people are at the center of what he's doing. You want to have purpose in your life? Man, God gives you purpose because when you're built into a living stone on top of the living foundation of Jesus Christ, you have incredible purpose, eternal purpose. See, as you come to him, Peter says, he's already borrowed imagery from the Old Testament. And now he's kind of borrowing the idea of the temple. Uh, as you come to him, well, who got to come to, to God in the Old Testament? Who got to come to him? Who got to go in and, and worship him in the, in the inner courts of the temple? The priests did, right? Let's keep reading. Verse five, you yourselves, you as you come to him, you, like living stones, you're being built up as a spiritual house, like the temple. Well, what happened at the temple? That's where, that's where God manifests himself. That's where God showed himself. That's where God displayed his glory and all of his goodness. And that's where people worshiped him. And that's where people found purpose and joy uh, to be a holy priesthood. When you come to him, he's, he's making you into the place where he would dwell. He's making you into the people who would have kind of the, the inside track with him. You got insider access to the king and ruler and creator of the universe. That's amazing. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus has made the one perfect sacrifice for us. So what's a spiritual sacrifice? Well, it's it's praising him for what he's done. It's living a life that's just, man, I love him. I want to honor him with my life. The, the temple is that place, and you're being built into a spiritual house. Not only that, but the, the priests were those who, who had inside access to God. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're given unfettered access to, to your creator. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we are God's fellow workers. You're God's field, God's building, he writes to people. See, the, in the Old Testament, the, the, the temple and the tabernacle, it was, a, it was a sacred place where God revealed himself, right? Not that God didn't work in other places, but that was a sacred set-apart place. When you get to the new covenant in the New Testament, God moves from a place and from a, a zip code to a people. And so now under the new covenant, there isn't such a thing really as sacred space, but there's sacred people, holy people who are set apart and belong to him. And you're his temple. And that's what Paul writes to the Corinthians here in chapter three of 1 Corinthians. Verse 10, he says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. He goes on in verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God, temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. When, when Paul says this, he's talking about you individually. You're, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, but, but he also says you plural. It's like a second person pronoun you in the Greek. So where he's saying all of us, you, all, all y'all. Like if somebody from the South translated scripture, that's what it would say. All y'all are God's temple. 
Like that's, in other words, that's where God likes to hang out. That's where God shows himself. That's where God works is among his people in the church. He's the senior pastor, like we like to say, right? And it's all about Jesus. He's among us. His glory fills us and he works through us. But we're also a priest, we're, the, we're God's people. So you get to verse seven, uh, Peter writes, so the honor is for you who believe. See, the priests had the honor of going in to the very presence of God, to mediate, to pray, to worship. Peter says, no, the, the honor isn't for the priests, it, it's for anybody who believes. The honor of being close to God, of having that inside access to him, is through the cornerstone, it, it's, it's for those who believe. But again, for those who don't believe, the stone the builders has rejected, the stone you're rejecting is actually that needs to be the cornerstone of your life, friend. He loves you. He cares about you. He gives you hope and joy. And the reason you keep stumbling over him is probably his love, his care for you, reaching out to you, saying, hey, here I am, would you turn to me and give your life to me? Like you'll have hope then, you'll have joy. I wanna be close to you, I wanna give you purpose, not just now, but like for eternity. And eternity is a really long time, if you didn't know, especially compared to this life. And Jesus gives us hope, not just now, but for all eternity. See, built on Jesus Christ, the church is at the very heart. In other words, it's, it's, it's where God works is among his people. And you can become one of his people if you build your life on him and repent and turn to Jesus. It's at the very heart of God's activity in the world. As Peter wraps this up, he continues with uh, this imagery of the temple and of the priesthood. He says, you know, some, they, they reject Christ. They push him aside. They refuse to build their life on him. They continue to stumble over him and their, their lives fall apart and they're crushed and broken to pieces. But you, you, meaning you who've trusted him, you're, you're a chosen race. He picked you for his team. I was always kind of the chubby kid growing up. Wasn't always the fastest. In baseball, I got picked first because I could hit the ball a long ways. But in any other sport, I was always last. But God's chosen me, even though I'm still a little chubby and run a little slow. He loves me, man. He loves you too. You're chosen by him. You're on his team. You're his people. Not only this, but a royal priesthood. Like you have access to the king. You have inside access. You're his. You're a holy nation, or maybe better said, a holy ethnicity. Where's your ethnicity come from? Sometimes we think of nation like, you know, the United States or Canada or Mexico. Or, but, but in this context, a holy nation isn't a geographical nation. It's, it's an ethnicity. Where's your ethnicity come from? From your ancestors, Right? And you're a descendant of them, and that's where you could get on Ancestry.com and find out your ethnicity. But uh, your spiritual ethnicity now, you're, you're holy. 
You've been redeemed as you've trusted Christ. He's, he's chosen you. He's made you new. And now who you are is no longer uh, uh, sinful and, and, and stuck in the passions of your flesh and in who you were. One of the students uh, made a comment this morning, too, when they were talking about Winter Blitz, that I don't, I don't have to be broken. I don't, I don't have to be stuck in that. Why? Because you've been given a new life. You've been given a new identity, a new ethnicity. You're, you're holy. You belong to God. That gives you purpose and hope in this life. You're a people for his own possession. Or as the King James likes to say, a peculiar people. Something unique, kind of peculiar about you. What is it? You belong to God. You're his child. You're his friend. You're a living stone being built up into a spiritual house. You, you have inside perfect access, unfettered access to him. You can approach him with confidence, the writer of Hebrews tells us. See, uh, well, why are you this? So that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're at the center of what God is accomplishing in the world. You get the great privilege of proclaiming his excellencies. And you know, we do that about the things we're excited about, don't we? We talk about them. We tell stories about them. We share them with people. You're saved. You're redeemed. You're made holy to, to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. That's the, the center of God's activity in the world, among his people, at the temple, among his people. He's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And once you were not a people, he quotes from Hosea there, but now you are God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you've received mercy. You haven't gotten what you deserved. You've received grace. You've gotten what you don't deserve. So what is God up to? What is this activity that he longs to do through you and I? We'll proclaim his excellencies to, to save and claim more and more people for his own. And maybe that's one of you this morning hearing my voice. Like you, you've been stumbling over this rock over and over. You've been tripping over it. You've pushed him aside and your life is in pieces. Come to him. Trust him. He restores you. He loves you just the way you are. Part of God's activity is to call people out of darkness, to get into the light, to be made clean, to be made new, to have hope. You stub your toe in the darkness and it hurts, but in the light you have hope, you can see. To show grace and mercy that's unending and to give hope. Friends, Jesus gives hope. For those of you who know him, you have hope in this life. You have joy now as you come to him. That's the thing, though. You've got to come to him, right? Like, that's how Peter started this passage. Keep coming to him. Keep returning to him. Develop some of those habits we've been talking about. For some of you, you need to come to him for the first time. If you have come to him, you're, you and I, we, friends, we are sent then now uh, as his ambassadors, we're sent to love people and invite more and more people to follow Jesus with us. And if you've never trusted him, I would commend him to you. What's the holdup? It's the best decision you'll ever make. For real, what's the holdup? Let me pray.